Hey, everybody. Good evening. Welcome. Great to see everybody here. Uh, uh, I love it when God works out just enough food for everybody. Isn't that something to be thankful for? Uh, thank you, Carlos. Well, we're glad you're here. Uh, thank you for, for being uh, here with us tonight. Uh, we're going to have a great time together. We're going to be doing a variety of things during our, our the next hour or so. Um, I'm going to be talking for just a minute. Uh, Joel's going to be sharing for a long time about what is the gospel, and then we're going to break into small groups and do some things as well. But here's here's how I want to start. Uh, if you were here last week and you got to spend time with us praying, we ended our time by thinking of three people, if we could, that you know that needs the gospel, three people that's in your sphere of influence. And at the end of uh, last week, we asked people to go write their names out there on the board, and, and you see people who have done that on the chalkboard out there. Well, day one, uh, if you'll see in your packet, has a place for you to write those three names down. So I know some of you weren't here last week, uh, but everybody can go ahead and take this, because we didn't have these booklets last week either. We just got them yesterday, like they were uh, it was supposed to. Uh, but you can go ahead and write down your three names, or two, if you can think of, or one, or whatever, of people that you think God would lead you to, to share the gospel with. This isn't your Uncle Joe that lives in Nantucket that you see every five years, okay? This, these are people that you work with. They're in your family. They're somebody in your neighborhood. Somebody that you think God may lead you to, to be the one that shares the good news with, okay? So that's those names. And, and at the end of tonight, please feel free to go grab some chalk out there on the welcome table and, and write uh, a name or two on the chalkboard as well. And Because those names are going to be prayed over uh, throughout the next couple months, actually. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, also... Uh, day two, I couldn't read my writing. <laughs> I was like, well, now what's my note to myself? I can't read that. All right, day two. This is where we're going to be today. And you'll see there's two pages here for day two. Uh, Joel's getting ready to share a little bit. And you'll see on the orange side, the, the page four, that's the page to take notes on today. You want to leave this side blank, the white page blank, for what we're going to be doing afterwards, okay? So uh, as Joel's sharing about what the gospel is, just use page four to take some notes on uh, for each kind of part of the gospel that he's going to share, God's story. So with that, uh, let's pray, uh, and then we're gonna, you're going to see a short little video, and then Joel's going to come up here and speak. So let's uh, ask God for God's blessing on our night tonight. Dear Lord, we honor you, we worship you, we give thanks to you for your great name, for your great glory, uh, for being a God who reveals stuff. You've revealed your truth. You've revealed uh, your son to us. You've revealed who you are. And you've revealed that you want us to be a part of uh, sharing your great name and sharing your story with others. And we pray tonight that you'll make your story clear to us through what Joel shares, uh, through our conversations that we have afterwards, uh, that we'll be able to, to clearly and concisely have the gospel on our tongues so that we can share the hope and the joy that we live with 
because of what you did for us, uh, so we can share that with others. And I just ask for your blessing, ask for your spirit to be with us tonight, to to work in our minds and our thoughts, uh, to prepare us to hear what we need to hear so that we can be bold and courageous in sharing this gospel with our neighbors and to the nations. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's watch the gospel together for just a couple minutes. There is only one story that answers life's most essential questions and gives a lasting sense of purpose and meaning. It's the story that inspires all other stories. It's the true story that defines every one of us. This is that story. How did it all begin? Like all stories, this one begins in the beginning with the author, who is God. He spoke everything into being. With a word, galaxies appeared with stars and planets. Earth was designed for life to flourish. Everything God made was gloriously good and breathtakingly perfect. The highlight of God's creation was the first man and woman, Adam and Eve. God entrusted everything he created to his beloved children, giving just one rule. They were not to eat fruit from a specific tree. They lived in loving obedience, worshiping God as their heavenly father, and enjoying perfect harmony with creation, each other, and God. Considering our world today, its obvious perfect peace didn't last. Turmoil, war, sickness, troubles. We each have our share. What went wrong? It started when a fallen angel named Satan grew jealous of God and determined to ruin the perfection of creation. Satan took the form of a serpent and enticed Adam and Eve to question God's goodness and rebel against his one rule. In disobedience, they ate the fruit and peace unraveled, ushering in sin and death, which still plagues us today. If we are honest, we are very much like Adam and Eve. We all rebel against our Heavenly Father, making our hearts heavy with fear, guilt, and shame. Our bodies are weary with sickness, disease, and death. Earth is afflicted with storms, calamities, and disasters. Even worse, sin has separated us from God, causing a permanent divide, a miserable separation called hell. The fallout of sin has been catastrophic. It's inescapable with no way to fix it, leaving us all to wonder, is there any hope? The love that prompted God to create us also prompted Him to send a Savior who would set everything right again. As centuries passed, God shared exact details of the coming Savior's birth, life, and death. Everything in the Bible points to this rescuer. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to earth as God the Son to fulfill the promise. He was born miraculously, as His mother was a virgin. Just like us, Jesus grew up and experienced life on earth. But unlike us, Jesus never sinned and always obeyed the Father. When Jesus was in his 30s, he began teaching all around Israel, pointing people to God's kingdom and performing many miracles. After a few years, he was wrongly accused and sentenced to an agonizing death on a cross. Jesus lovingly gave up his perfect life as a sacrifice 
to pay for the sins of mankind. He died a perfect death, taking our place, the innocent for the guilty. But the grave couldn't hold Jesus. Three days later, God brought Jesus to life again. Jesus defeated sin by dying on the cross and defeated death by rising from the dead. Today, Jesus sits at God's right hand as king and judge over all creation. This is the story of rescue God has authored. He invites us, through repentance and faith, to make his story of rescue the one we trust in and live from. When we do, everything changes. And now, what will the future hold? For everyone who trusts in Jesus alone for rescue, God has promised to restore your heart and set you free from sin's hold. Because God is loving, kind, merciful, forgiving, tender-hearted, and true. God has also promised to make all things new. One day, there will be a new heaven and a new earth, forever free from sin. Everything that causes pain and sadness will be gone. God has also promised to be with us forever. The moment you trust in Jesus, your relationship with God is restored because Jesus has closed the divide sin caused. Getting to know this all-loving God starts today and continues forever. For God's story never ends. You can make God's story the foundation of your life even now by admitting your need for God's rescue. Asking forgiveness for your sin. Trusting in Jesus Christ alone to rescue you. Following Jesus in faith from this moment on. This is God's story. Will you make it yours? You want to check out that video sometime on your own it's um it's online it's called the story you can google it or i think it's the story.org or com so you can check that out really really great uh i loved when andy introduced that i was going to come up and speak tonight that he said i'm going to be up here for a few minutes and then joel's going to come up for a long time did you notice that he emphasized long and i was like wow that's sad and then i didn't thankfully hear any groans or complaining from anybody so that was nice uh, but tonight we are going to be jumping in. If you have your little booklet that Andy was talking about on page four, there's a place for you to kind of keep up and take some notes tonight and follow along. And that's going to be important toward the end of our time together, because at the end, like Andy said, you're going to have a chance to uh, to write out your version of uh, of the gospel. And so uh, so what I'll do in a little bit longer form, you'll do in a more concise form. And so we want to give you kind of the pieces. But here's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to answer this question. What is the gospel? Uh, and we need to understand from the beginning that the gospel is not a definition. Uh, the gospel is not a Bible verse. Uh, the gospel is a story, and it's God's story. And so when you think about the gospel, there are really two vantage points that you can consider and think about the gospel from. Uh, the first vantage point is what we might call the gospel from the air. And this is kind of the 30,000 view, 30,000 foot view of, of the gospel story. It's the big picture of looking at all of creation and the brokenness of it all and what God is doing 
throughout history to bring everything back together again. So that's kind of the 30,000-foot view of the gospel. But then there's also the gospel on the ground. And the gospel on the ground is where the gospel becomes truly personal to us because God is working in our lives all around us and in us to restore us to himself and to bring us into relationship with himself. And so when you think about the gospel, what we're going to primarily focus on tonight is this second view, the gospel from the ground. What is God doing in our lives? What is God doing in and around us, in our community, in our relationships, in our neighborhoods? Uh, And so we want to talk about it through that. Um, I'm not really interested tonight in giving you a method of sharing the gospel. Uh, Really, when you think about that, maybe some of you have gone through different things where you're like, it's the faith training or it's the the Romans road method of sharing the gospel or the four spiritual laws. and, And you've been through these different things where it's like, this is how you tell someone about the gospel. Uh, We're not doing tonight where it's like, this is how you share the gospel. Tonight, we really want to give you an overview to say, let's be on the same page about what the gospel is. So that when you have a clear understanding of what the gospel is, you more fully know how to share it and how to talk about it with other people. And so, did my voice just change? Are you guys messing with stuff back there? You good now? All right, fantastic. Um, And so when we think about this, I want to talk about the gospel from this big picture perspective as God's story of redemptive activity. Um, Now, I said the gospel is not a definition, but definitions really help, right? And so when we think about definitions, it helps give us something that's concise to kind of hold on to. And, And so one of my favorite definitions of the gospel comes from Tim Keller, and he said this. He said that we are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we even dare to believe. And yet, we are more loved and accepted in Jesus than we ever dared hope, right? And so that's a picture of the gospel, and that's setting up the story of the gospel, that we are broken, damaged, messed up, sinful people. And yet, even through all of that, we are more loved than we could ever hope. We're more sinful than we could ever imagine, but we're more loved by God than we could ever hope. Uh, And so that's kind of a, a definition The most succinct Bible verse you can maybe think of to detail the gospel comes from one we probably all know by heart, and that's John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever would believe in him wouldn't perish but have everlasting life. And so when you think about this definition and we think about this this verse of Scripture, it's things that help us to, to start on the path of understanding what the gospel is, and it really helps us enter into the story. And so... Uh, the reason these things are helpful is because it gives us that framework to enter into God's story. So tonight I want us to talk through that. And the story of God, the story of the gospel, includes five elements. And you can see them there on the left-hand side of the booklet you have on page four. Uh, but the story includes these five elements. And after we talk about them tonight, we're going to, to uh, move from discussing these elements to move into some smaller groups and, uh, and start writing out your understanding of the gospel and the narrative of the gospel with these five things in mind. And then from there, we're going to break down into just pairs, I believe, is going to be the goal. And we're going to start sharing the gospel. Like what, what, what is the story of God? You're going to share that with somebody else. What is God's story as you kind of put it together? All right, so ready? Here we go. What is the gospel? Um, the gospel is God's story. It's God's story. And it begins and ends with him. It begins with him in his creation, and it ends with him restoring all things to himself to make it perfect like it was in the beginning. So the gospel is God's story. Uh, Psalm chapter 90, verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Right, so he's before everything else. It's his story. Psalm chapter 90, verse 2 is what we just read. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, 
God created the heavens and the earth. Right? So this is from the very first moment. This is the beginning of recorded time. Not the beginning of God, but the beginning of creation as we know it. When God entered into the picture and began creating what we know and brought all of this to life, started the, the clock ticking of time, God created the heavens and the earth. So God has eternally existed, and he rules over all of his created order. He has ruled from eternity past in heaven, and he rules over his creation of the heavens and the earth since the establishment of time. So Genesis goes on to tell us that when God created, everything was good. In fact, he gets to the end, and he says he looked at it, and it was very good, right? He created it perfectly. It was, it was impressive what God did. God created everything to be great. But the height of God's creation was mankind. So we are the pinnacle of what God created. And when he put all of these things in order, he stopped at the very end and went, man, when I've made man, that was the pinnacle, the culmination of this creation. And so God created Adam and Eve. He gave them dominion over the earth. He gives us dominion over to the earth. Uh, and he allowed us to know him and walk with him. And so this first man and woman, Adam and Eve, they are our representatives. And so they lived with God in perfect union. There was harmony an unbroken face-to-face relationship that Adam and Eve shared with the God of the universe. He would come and walk with them in the garden in the cool of the day. And he would be with them face-to-face, unfiltered, no limitations to the relationships they had with him. And so everything was perfect just as God intended in that moment. And in the middle of his creation, God put two trees. One tree that he said, you can eat from this one, it's the tree of, of life. And then one tree that he said, this one's off limits. In fact, it's the only thing that's off limits to you. You have power and dominion and authority over everything in the world except this one tree. Don't eat from that tree. That was the tree of, excuse me, of the knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve were tempted by Satan. Satan is a fallen angel of God who took the form of a serpent to rebel against God's one command. He told Adam and Eve that they would not... Uh, die like God had told them, but that they would have their eyes open and be like God. He wanted to, to present them this idea of them being equal with God, them being on the same footing as God. And so he lied to Adam and Eve about the goodness and the glory of God. And Adam and Eve fell for Satan's lie and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Right? And so in the middle of this perfect creation, with a face-to-face relationship with God, Adam and Eve have one rule, and they break the one rule. And when we think about that, this is what we call the fall of mankind. This is the second element of the story. This is where everything goes off the rails. This is the fall of mankind. It's pretty apparent when we look at the world today that things are not in the same perfect existence as when God created them. What Adam and Eve experienced with God in the garden is not what we experience today. There's brokenness everywhere. Adam and Eve's sin not only broke their fellowship with God, but the entire world was broken as a result. And so when we think about earthquakes, floods, war, hatred, divorce, pride, and every imaginable evil that comes in the world, it's all a result of sin. It's all a result of Adam and Eve's one choice to rebel against God, to go against his one law. Um, But worst of all, God had given them a consequence for breaking his law. And the consequence was death. It wasn't just being removed from the garden. It wasn't that you don't get to see me face to face anymore. The consequence was death. If you eat from this tree, you'll surely die. Do you remember what Satan told him? You won't die. God knows you'll be like him. You're not going to die. And the truth is, is that when they ate of the tree, they didn't immediately just drop dead, right? 
it wasn't a physical death God was talking about. It was a spiritual death. And the spiritual death results in the end with physical death. And so because we're broken spiritually, we also become broken physically. When we tell the story of the gospel, we have to include the fall. We can't skip over right to, okay, God created everything that's good, the world's kind of messed up, but um, God loves you, he's perfect, he wants to have a relationship with you. We need to explain the fall. We need to have an understanding of, of the brokenness that exists in our world. We need to have an understanding and knowledge of what happens when we rebel against God. Because without an understanding of our sin, we have no concept of why we need a Savior. If you ever hear people just talk about it and go, well, have you been saved? Have you ever heard that question asked to somebody who has no concept of what Christianity is about? You go, well, have you ever been saved? And it's like, saved from what? Like, I don't, what are you talking about? Like, I don't have any gorillas chasing me right now. There's nothing happening that's crazy. I don't see any runaway freight cars coming at me. Like, what do I need to be saved from? And part of what we need to understand as believers in Christ in, in knowing the gospel and in sharing the gospel is that this idea of talking about the fall, talking about the brokenness of our lives, talking about the sin that comes into our hearts, is a big part of what we need to explain so that people understand what's the reason salvation or a Savior is necessary. Why does God go to the point of sending His Son to the earth, we'll come get around to in just a minute, to die for us, if I don't think I need any kind of salvation, if there's nothing that has happened in my life that would require me to need a Savior? So we need to be able to explain and talk about this idea of the fall, that we are hopelessly sin-sick, that everyone on planet Earth has this sin-sickness, and that because of the sin-sickness, there's death that comes as a result of that, spiritual death and physical death. In fact, Romans 3.23 says it this way, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every last one of us on planet Earth. There's no one here that's going, oh, well, that's a good person. He's never done anything wrong just on the merit of his own goodness. He's great. He's fine with God. Everything's good. No, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So not only is the world broken because of the effects of sin, from a grand scale where the world is broken, earthquakes, tsunamis, fires, storms, all these kinds of things, bacteria, infections, disease, but we're broken. Because of sin, we're broken. And the devastating effect of sin is death in the long run. Then there's no part of our world that sin has an impact on. Everything, everything is broken. So here's the question. Well, gosh, then, is there any hope? I mean, if everything's broken and if sin is so devastating, and if, if the gospel of God is that there's a brokenness in his creation because of a choice to sin against him, then is there hope? And the answer to that question is yes. When you go back to that definition from Tim Keller, while we're more sinful and broken than we can ever know, we're also more loved than we could ever imagine. And so the answer to the question, is there hope, is yes. At the time of the fall, when men stumbled and fell away from God, when Adam and Eve made that decision, God put into plan, uh, he put his plan into motion to rescue humanity. So this is the next part of the, the outline, the third element of the story, is there's a rescue there's hope because there's a rescue. God was going to send his champion that would overcome sin. God was going to send Jesus. And so he promised from the very first moment that sin entered the world that a Messiah would come, a Savior, someone who would stomp on the head of the serpent. And so he puts this into motion. He puts his plan to send his champion. And everything in the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, points to Jesus as the rescuer that the world needs. 
So because and while we are sinful and broken people, Jesus, who is God the Son, came in the flesh in the form of a man and lived a sinless life. Jesus was fully obedient to God the Father. He kept every command, every law. He was right and perfect before God in every way. And as a result of his sinless life, he could be the rescuer that we need. As a result of his sinless life, he was able to be a sinless sacrifice to pay for our sin and to give us a chance to escape the wrath of God. When you think about this wrath of God, here's the the real understanding that we need to be aware of, is that sin has to be punished. Sin has to be punished. There has to be a dealing with the brokenness that exists in our lives. And people don't like to talk about that. We kind of just like to think that, well, God's all loving, and so he's just going to give everybody a free pass. But the truth is, is that God would not be a righteous, good judge if he didn't deal with sin appropriately. And so sin has to be dealt with. But God doesn't want to punish any of us. That's why he sent the rescuer. That's why he sent Jesus. So that he doesn't have to punish us. Jesus, the sinless one who lived completely right before God, went to the cross on our behalf, on your behalf, on my behalf. He gave the punishment sacrifice that we couldn't pay because he lived the life that we couldn't live. And so this gospel narrative, this story, is about Jesus coming as the rescuer to take that punishment from God that we deserve. After living the life that we couldn't live. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18 says, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. Like That's why the rescuer came. The righteous came to give his life for the unrighteous. That's you and me. So that you could be brought to God. Isn't that a beautiful picture? That this gospel story is about a rescuer who comes and picks you up when you're the most broken and takes you to God and restores you and heals you and repairs the relationship that you desperately long for and that everybody on earth is desperately longing for. So Jesus died the death that we deserve to pay the penalty we couldn't pay. Galatians uh, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Right? Like He came to be our rescuer. He came to rescue us himself from our sins in this present age according to the will of God the Father. It's not God's will to punish you. He's already punished sin on the cross. And so the rescue has been taken care of. So what does this mean for the future of people who become followers of Christ? Well, that's where you get into this next element, restoration. It means that there's a chance for restoration to the relationship that God created us to have with him in the beginning. The the whole point of Jesus coming and dying and giving his life for us is that it restores us to relationship with God the way he desired it to be from the very beginning. So through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus... God is making everything new again. First, God is restoring individuals to himself by removing our sin and offering us a fresh start with him. That's the first thing that takes place. That's the gospel on the ground, right? That as Jesus came and gave his life and paid the penalty for our sins, God has taken our sins away from us and given us a restored relationship with himself. But the second thing that we see is that God is bringing his kingdom to earth little by little as the gospel spreads around the world. 
that he's bringing healing to everything, that he's bringing hope to everything, that the light is shining in the darkest places, and that as the gospel goes out, the kingdom of God grows and it expands. And so this restoration that's taking place is what we're going to see as God will come back and he will completely wipe out sin. And he will judge the righteous and the unrighteous according to our deeds, the Bible says, separating those who have not trusted in Jesus away from himself for an eternity in a literal place called hell. And he will welcome those who have accepted the salvation offered through Jesus and his sacrifice. He'll accept us into heaven. And so when we think about this, that there will be a day of judgment, there will be a day of reckoning, but the restoration that can come into our life comes because of what Jesus did. And then the Bible says that the last thing that's going to happen is that the full restoration will take place, that after God has punished sin and judged sin, he will destroy the earth, not by flood like he did in the days of Noah, but this time by fire, completely destroy everything, and then he will recreate or restore everything back to the perfect order that it was like in the very beginning when God created the heavens and the earth. That he will recreate and it will be perfect. And we will live and reign with God forever and forever. And so Revelation 21 verses 1 through 5, John is writing and he's being shown these great visions of the future and he says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven, the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. By the way, that idea of there no longer being any sea, in Scripture, the oceans were something to be feared, water was something to be feared, and it was something that separates us. It still does, right? We talk about having to go across the big pond to get to the other side of the world and other continents and places like that, right? And so the big pond, that's East Tennessee for the ocean, right? You guys are with me on that one? Okay, fantastic. Um, so when we think about that, it's, it's about separation. And so John says, when I saw the new heaven and the new earth, there's, there's no separation. We're together. We're unified. We're with God. There's nothing that keeps us apart. And he says, and it was like a bride being beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. God will make everything over again. He will restore everything back to its original perfect order. And he will reign forever and ever. He says, this is trustworthy. It's true. You can take it to the bank. This is what's going to happen. This is the gospel. That God is restoring everything. That he's recreating everything. That he's rescuing people to himself. And so we get to this last part and we ask the question, well, then what does it all mean for me? And this is where we have to respond. When you think about the gospel, the beauty of the gospel, and that word gospel means good news. When we think about good news being told to us, then there should be some type of response news, right? When you get news, it, it's not quite like information. You might read information and go, well, that's nice to know. But when you get news, you either go, well, that was really good or that was really bad or maybe it's somewhere in between. I don't know. But there's always a response to news, right? And so he goes, the gospel is good news. So the response is that each person has to decide for him or herself what to do with the story of the gospel. And John tells us in his gospel 
that the reason that it was written down, John chapter 20, verse 31 says, but these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. That's the whole point of why these things are written down. Why do Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, why do they write their gospels? Why do they write the good news? He says, so you'll believe that Jesus is the Messiah and that he's come to set you free, to rescue you, that you may have life in his name. Death no longer has to be the fear that keeps us away from God because he's given us life, life eternal, life in this world. And Jesus said, I've come that you can have life and have it abundantly. In the here and now, we have abundant life. And in the days to come, we'll have perfect, abundant life with God. So God's love for you is immeasurable. But he won't force himself on you or anyone for that matter. And so when we see God, we know and we understand with this gospel message, he's not going to force himself on you. You must accept him or reject him. And so Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and I'll eat with that person and they with me. In Scripture, in the New Testament, especially in the Jewish culture, eating with someone was about the most intimate thing you could do with them. To go into someone's home and share a meal with them was incredibly intimate. And so Jesus says, I'm standing at the door of your heart, and I'm knocking. And if you'll open the door, I'll come in, I'll be with you, I'll eat with you. I'll have fellowship with you, I'll have intimacy with you, and you with me. We'll know each other. And so that's the picture of the gospel. So the question then is, how does someone come into that relationship with Jesus that he's offering? And the Bible tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not by works. It's not by anything we do or accomplish so that no one can boast about it. That salvation comes to people by grace, by God's grace to us, and through our faith in him. That we believe that what he says is true. That we understand who Christ is. And so we come into this relationship with him. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 Paul wrote and said, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and you're saved. And so when we think about this response, what's our response? Our response is that you believe in God by his grace, through faith, and that you confess your need for him, that you believe in your heart, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then you can be saved. And so a couple of things that that go into this. We must, number one, admit our need for God and trust Jesus alone for our rescue. There's no other rescuer. There's no other way. There's no other path. We must trust Jesus alone for our rescue and admit our need for God. Number two, we confess our sin and we repent, turning our life around by God's grace. Uh, And so that word repent literally means turn, turn around. And so when we come to this awareness, this knowledge that Jesus is the Messiah, that our lives are broken and desperate for a relationship with God because of sin, and Jesus has come to offer us that relationship, then what we do is we step into that relationship and we turn away from everything else we've been pursuing. And we say, I'm going to be pursuing Jesus from now on. Which gets us to the third thing. Follow Jesus, the Lord and the Savior of your life, in faith from this day forward. That it's an everyday following. That's what it means to be a disciple. Jesus says, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. You come and follow me. 
stay with you. It's an everyday walking with Jesus. The gospel. The gospel is the story of that. It's God's story and he's included us in it. That word gospel, like I said a few minutes ago, means good news. So as Christians, it's important for us to know what the good news is and how to accurately tell other people about it. And it's a story. It's this narrative. Again, it goes back to what we said at the very beginning. It's, the gospel isn't a definition. The gospel is not a Bible verse. The gospel is Jesus. The gospel is God and his work in all of created existence to work out everything from beginning to end of his purposes and according to his will to restore our lives from the brokenness of sin and to bring us into relationship with the Father through our faith and belief in God the Son, Jesus Christ. And so when you think about the gospel and when you have conversations with people and you want to share your faith in whatever way you do that, right, whether again it's the spiritual laws or the Romans road or however you share your faith with people, the important thing is to know the true gospel. God's story, the big picture. What is God doing? And, and so having that awareness and knowing these elements that play into it, that there's God is at work in creation, but men rebelled against him and fell. God wasn't happy with that, so he sent a rescuer. And as he rescues us, he restores us, and he restores the world. So then there has to be a response. And as you can, can get these elements inside of your mind, inside of your heart, and know the story of God, then hopefully, as you have opportunity and as I have opportunity, we begin to earn the right with people to share with them this story and, and to, to let them know what the gospel is, that it's good news, that God is not seeking to condemn us, but to give us life and hope in the future. And so tonight, we're going to give you a few minutes. Andy's going to come back up and give some instructions about what we need to do next and breaking into some groups and then even later coming back and, uh, and getting into pairs to share some of these things so that you can take what you've gained from tonight, hopefully, write it down in your own words more succinctly than I will because you won't have 30 minutes maybe to sit down and explain the gospel to somebody. Maybe you will, but sometimes it's just a matter of going, man, there's not 30 minutes worth of lines on this page, so you've got to do it way more succinct than I do. i got four pages of notes. You only get half of one. Um, and so, uh, so we hope that you'll, you'll get some, uh, some opportunities to just work through that, think through that a little bit tonight as we go into that next stage. Let me pray for us, and then uh, Andy will give us some more instructions. Heavenly Father, uh, God, we love you so much. And, um, and it's only possible for us to love you because you loved us first. Uh, Lord, because you weren't, weren't content to leave us broken in our sins and to leave us hopeless and destitute, God, because you chose to redeem us and rescue us, we can have hope. And, uh, and Father, my prayer tonight really in this room is that if there's someone here, uh, one of our younger children or one of our students or even an adult in this place tonight, that, that this for the first time is making sense about who God is and what you've done to restore us to yourself. God, there may be someone in this room right now that just needs to say, I, I get it and I believe and I want to walk with Jesus from here forward. And so I just pray that tonight in, in the quietness of this moment, that in someone's heart in this room, that they would just say, God, I, I want you to forgive me of my sins. And I want to confess with my mouth, you're Lord, you're Savior. I believe in my heart. You raised Jesus from the dead and I want to be saved. I want to be part of your kingdom. And I want to follow you from here on out. And so, God, if, if 
there's someone in this place tonight that just senses that need to respond to you, I pray, Father, that they would do that. And then for, for the rest of us who, who have been walking in a relationship with you but maybe have been timid about sharing our faith and sharing the gospel with other people, I just pray, God, that you'll open doors for us to have opportunities to share the faith and to tell people this gospel story that it's not necessarily about having everything figured out, but it's just about telling this narrative of, of what's been taking place from creation till now and what will happen when you return to make all things new. And so, Father, give us boldness and give us opportunities in the relationships we have to share the gospel story with others. We love you and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, uh, a couple things as we break up. Uh, first of all... Um, I apologize. The internal pages in this were supposed to be made uh, writable. <laughs> only the outside, only the black you see right here was meant to be glossy. So we apologize for that. Um, that was a mix-up. So uh, I got all kinds of scribbles here. Uh, J term is meant. This J term is meant to be very practical. It's meant there's be, there'll be a little bit of instruction each week, and then we'll be breaking in groups to do practical things and put things. Uh, into practice. So uh, that's what the next 15 or more minutes are going to be. We're going to kind of do two things here. First of all, we're just going to get in, into some groups. If you came, I know some of you came as family, some of you came as friends, some of you came by yourselves. Get with people. Don't let anybody sit by themselves. Join up with a family or a couple next to you. Uh, jump in there, meet some new folks, and start to write down on the white page here, start to write down this in the simple sentences because here's the deal you can know it up here but when you start to say it to somebody it can get tricky and I, I know a lot of you know what Joel just talked about but when you have a chance to share it with somebody getting it concisely <laughs> I stumble over my words and I wonder am I saying the right thing did I include this did I include that so that's why we're taking the time to write it out, and then we're going to take a few minutes to actually say it to somebody that we're with, okay? Just to, just to it's different when those words start to come out of your mouth to, to be able to, to get a clear message across, okay? So we're going to be practical here for a little bit. Um, so go ahead and do that. Uh, take about 15 minutes just to write out. Use the white page to write out, and you can help each other that you're sitting with write out okay creation here's the two sentences i'm going to say about creation uh the fall here's the two sentences i'm going to say about the fall because a lot of times when when i've shared the gospel with somebody it hasn't been over 30 minutes like joel said it's been over about two or three and you have a chance to share with somebody and then you can go on from there because you have a relationship maybe with somebody but it, sometimes it's just as simple as well what's christianity in the first place nobody's ever asked me what is the gospel but a lot of people have asked me, well, what is, what is Christianity? What does that mean? And so just take some time and write down two sentences maybe uh, or three about each one of those sections. All right, go. Go.